Hey guys, what's happening? If you love to hunt and fish, you've come to the right spot. This is Chase Outdoors, the podcast. I'm your host, Justin Geike. I want to take a moment and as always, thank you very much for joining me as we uh, share our passion for hunting and fishing. And what a great day it is. It is the uh, night before Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving from our family to yours, both employees, staff, and uh, our household. We hope you guys have a great time with uh, your family, your loved ones, enjoying some football, maybe getting in some hunting in the morning. That's my plan for sure. But um, yeah, it's, it's a great time of year. And not only is it the day before Thanksgiving, it is also the fifth day of the Wisconsin gun deer hunt. And I hope you guys have had a great hunt. A uh, lot of complaining going around for sure. Uh, deer kill in the state of Wisconsin here is down. Last I heard about 26%. Excuse me. First last year, which is uh, not surprising to me. And it's not that I think that the deer population is down. It's just the fact that we've been dealing with a couple of different things that have affected our ability to be successful. I think the major cause of this is the fact of weather. And uh, boy, did we have some weather last night. If you're not uh, from Wisconsin, you probably don't understand, but uh, winter has arrived. We got dumped with snow last night, not like that warm, fluffy, beautiful snow globe snow. We got the crazy ex-girlfriend showing up at the wedding with a knife kind of snow. Crazy, cold, unwelcome, nasty, just like dumping concrete out of the sky. It's been terrible and uh, road conditions have been bad. So hopefully if any of you guys are doing some traveling for the holidays, you take it slow, take it easy. If you're going out to the tree stand, leave early, take your time. We need you not only as productive advocates of the hunting and fishing industry, but quite honestly, I need the listeners and the followers. Uh, so it's a uh, rough, uh, rough snow. I doubt there's a lot of people uh, out there today, some, but uh, I think that's only going to contribute to what's already been um, a reported decline in the harvest. So the other thing that I think is a huge part of that is the weather earlier has been warm. So there hasn't been a lot of reason for the deer to be moving around when you have highs in the 40s. They have no problem hunkering down and staying there all day. And uh, not to mention too, we've, um, as hunters aren't getting cold either. So um, we don't have that need to get up and move around to warm up or go back to the truck to warm up or, you know, there's an, uh, that element. We haven't had snow on the ground, so the visibility hasn't been great. And then there's the other factors too that, um, you know, we have an increase in number of archers, the crossbow law. Um, making those legal to all has brought new people in and it's not crossbows fault it's or compound fault that pressure I love seeing hunting participation it's just that the archery harvest numbers are pretty strong and that's taken a lot of the deer out as well and then the next factor is we look at where this gun season falls on the calendar year it's the latest that our gun deer season can start which just removes us that much farther from the peak of the rut and I've, it's crazy like specifically to the date i've talked to a lot of guys who said november 1st and november 12th were the days where they had the trophy day walkers just like i had dealt with too 
Um, you'd heard me talk about earlier podcasts where we uh, had some of those great encounters uh, during the rut. Um, great as in we had encounters, terrible as in I screwed up. But uh, yeah, I, I think that a lot of guys talked about those days. So what I believe though that represents is November 1st being the major day where the bucks were out cruising looking for receptive does. I think they found them, they locked down with them for those periods of days. I think most of the does had gone into estrus in that period between say the the 4th and the 10th. And then I think that we saw an increase of activity for bucks back cruising looking for the next receptive does. That's just kind of my theory on why those dates play out and why I bring that up is the fact we've talked about a reduction in deer activity during this gun season, but also it gives us something to kind of work with when predicting the second rut, which is not really paid attention to by a lot of people because they've either quit hunting or they filled their tags or it's just not something to them. I think it's pretty safe to say the bulk majority of archers pretty much vanish for the most part after our gun deer season because now we're going into our muzzleloader season and from what I can anticipate that second rut which is 28 days the next estrus cycle uh, could show us some nice rut activity and potential for you know bucks trailing does into the muzzleloader season so I'm really anticipating a strong muzzleloader hunt I, I've been particular with my buck tag because of that there's target bucks I am specifically looking for one in particular that I've got in mind but uh, I think that that is something for us to look at moving forward to give us that encouragement uh, to keep after it and stay on trail cameras you know speaking of trail cameras make sure that uh, now's the time of year when a lot of batteries start to go dead and we get complacent and don't stay on top of them now's a great time to make sure that your trail cameras are up and running and ready to go with fresh batteries and fresh cards so that we can monitor what new deer move into the area because of how the gun deer hunting pressure has affected them and also how food impacts them. If you've got a good food source, a cut corn field, bean field, food plots, things of that nature, a lot of times December can be absolutely magic and give you one of your best opportunities at chasing a trophy buck. So, well, it's easy to get discouraged by a rough opening weekend that's come after maybe an unsuccessful archery season. My encouragement to you is hang tight and hang in there and keep after it because we're only at a little past the halfway mark. There's a lot of season left. You know, back to the snow, just um, I think that uh, the more snow we have, the more that food plays a role. This snow that we had, sloppy, wet, and terrible. In fact, I am I. Uh, I got a new snow thrower attachment or got a snow thrower attachment for, for my, for my um, lawn tractor and uh, I must have not set it up right or something but it wasn't handling this heavy sloppy job. So big shout out and thank you to uh, Logan, my neighbor and, uh, and part of the team over at Arrow Wild Television for uh, coming over and plowing me out, being my, uh, being my personal savior of the morning so I can get in and out of my household. So. Kudos, Logan. Thank you very much, and good luck. Logan's getting ready to go out on a North Dakota archery hunt, which uh, I know what you got cooking, buddy. Best of luck to you. Hey, so um, the other things I want to talk about 
in relation to uh, this gun deer season and this in this lack of movement is just kind of an understanding of how maybe we can structure uh, an improvement in success. One thing that I've noticed is just generationally we've changed in our hunting tactics as we've moved away from deer hunters to trophy hunters. You know, it's hard and one of my favorite parts of gun deer season this year was just spending that hour sitting up in my grandpa's tower with him as he told stories and he's hung a lot of his little basket racks up in there. I mean, it kind of looks like a deer cabin inside of there. It's pretty heavy, uh, heavy built and, and enjoying my grandma's incredible cooking. We had uh, barbecue venison sandwiches and, you know, it's just a really nice time to sit back and reflect and the camaraderie of what makes this sport and this heritage so good. And still my grandpa who has shot some nice big bucks over the years and has a lot of great hunting stories and has really helped uh, encourage my passion for the outdoors still has such a hard time fathoming trophy hunting you know and he grew up in a different time he was a Northwoods logger where putting food on the table was a priority but we talked about that change and just how one thing that we're consistently moving away from is is doing deer drives and these deer were locked down not moving it was warm they felt pressure there was very little you know, rut activity. So they really had no reason to move. They weren't starving. Food was available because there wasn't deep snow on the ground. I mean, it just made complete sense that these deer were not moving a lot. I saw a couple of deer opening day walk past me at early hours uh, before shooting hours. I still heard somebody shoot 15 minutes before I saw those deer. So, um, but uh, then after that, I did hear what sounded like a running sequence, I was pretty certain I heard a grunt and heard some deer running through the swamp to the south of me uh, that definitely sounded like a chase sequence. So there is a little bit. I uh, talked to some guys who had success with bucks trailing does. Um, so like I said, it still does exist some, but one of the things we talked about was the lack of doing deer drives. What we have been doing is just sitting back and essentially complaining about not having deer movement when the best thing you could do is get up and make a move and doing deer drives is a great way to do that. The challenge is it's generally pretty hard if you don't have a group of guys to do it with. And I think that uh, the other thing about it too is as we see the guys who primarily did the deer drives is an older generation that just quite frankly doesn't move through the swamps anymore. And that's the case with my grandpa as his physical limitations stop him from uh, doing really anything besides just walking 100 yards to to the tower stand it's just a harsh part of um, reality is is you know that deer drive crowd for the most part is is deteriorating and the other thing I think is this mentality that comes from trophy hunting and I'm not saying one's right or wrong because I, I definitely sit more in the camp of trophy hunter than I do anything um, is the fact that um, it's the idea that I may ruin my property and I might scare my deer to the neighbor. And my grandpa struggles to deal with that too, as he talked about being a youth and how nobody cared about property lines, whether it was public or private. You know, there was miles of people of whose names and families they knew that would just drive everybody's properties collectively because they all wanted the other person to get a deer too. There wasn't any of that you know, new generation pride or selfishness that came with 
you know, trophy racks. It was about, hey, everybody, let's help everybody get their buck. You know, and, and I definitely think that has changed a bunch. And there are still families in rural areas where it's a huge successful part of, of their deer camp. But I really think that if I could have a choice that when these deer aren't moving, that, that doing deer drives is the best function for making this happen. And we've proved that to kind of sort of be successful in the fact that on Sunday, in the middle of the day, I was heading to my grandpa's to go have lunch. And I signaled to him that I was just going to take a quick walk through this little patch of brush that I've got up on the front of my property. And the front field exposes the highway. The strip is maybe 150 yards long and maybe 40 yards deep. And my grandpa's tower sits in and amongst that. I thought, well, I'll just take a quick walk through there and maybe I'll spook a deer to him. So I walk across my front field, just feet from it. And when I turn around and I took one step into that brush, deer get up. You know, the first deer I see is a big doe. I put my gun up and I see another deer move. I go to check on what that is. I can't see it. I come back to the doe. I have a clear shot. I take the shot. I should kill the deer. And I'm happy about it. And I walk up and then I realize that it's not the deer that I wanted to shoot. It was a, it was a smaller deer of the doe fawn. And I was super bummed out about that. I really, really was because it's just not my cup of tea. But anybody who's been in that situation knows that that, that happens. But it is what it is. I, I kept pushing through and I pushed... I pushed like five to six deer out of this little patch and uh, halfway through it grandpa decided to put his you know bigger uh, uh, or warmer blaze orange jacket on over what he had on and uh, he had his arm halfway in the sleeve when the nice buck decided to run across the food plot so there was no shooting there uh, but you know I guess lessened or lesson learned or experience had one of the two. But it just goes to show I had walked past those deer on my front field at a very close distance. And it wasn't until, until I actually stepped into the brush where they decided to move. And they didn't all move at the same time. I moved a couple. I took a few more steps. Like they did everything they felt they could to stay hunkered down. And that just goes to show how incredible they are at staying locked down, how many of them we walk past without them getting up, without them spooking, without being detected. I mean, that one buck I had to be 20 feet from in two separate occasions. And it's just a testimony to their ability uh, to feel and adjust to, to human pressure. Those deer were all sitting in a spot closer to our trucks than we were. They could see us park, see us get out, see us walk, see my grandpa get up into a stand, us get out and leave. And then 20 minutes later, they're on my trail camera eating. Like those deer patterned us way better than we patterned them. And I think that happens all over the place. And I think that only continues as you further pressure a property. It's pretty safe to say that I have pressured out my property. There's still some deer moving around and I've had some pictures in the last couple days during daylight hours or, you know, near there. But uh, it bears the question of what next once you feel that you've burnt out a property and I think the thing to do is it's a great way to just get out pressure plays a huge giant role and if you're not going to be a deer driver and get in there and push them all around and everybody else kind of do the same thing 
then you've really got to work hard to do two things. One, eliminate the pressure that you put on those deer or greatly reduce it. And the other thing is to have a food source that draws them to that, that makes them want to move. We've got some huge opportunities coming up. Uh, I want you guys to really realize, you know, I'm speaking specifically to Wisconsin gun hunters. We do not have a nine day deer season. We have a 19 day deer season separated by weapon. And that's the one thing is I think we always look at, you know, gun season and, and there's certainly plenty of people who are big into it, but why we're not looking at the muzzleloader season with the same amount of intensity and effort that we put into rifle season we're really cheating ourselves. I think we've got some really great opportunities coming up with muzzleloader and one of those is just the fact that we have way reduced pressure so the deer don't feel the need to hunker down as much. We should be dealing with colder temperatures which is going to drive the desire for food higher. We should have snow on the ground still which is going to again drive deer to specific food sources. We can better pattern them by seeing their foot tracks in the snow. The other thing is it just gives us more time in the woods and we might catch on to that second rut. So don't throw that bottle of deer pee away quite yet because I think moving forward in about a week, there might be an opportunity where we can use it again and potentially have some success. The other thing that I think is imperative moving even beyond that is becoming a student to your trail cameras. Like I said, now's the time to grab them as you're walking in, walking them out, reloading them with batteries and fresh cards and getting them back out there. And one of the things, and like I mentioned before, you know, we're currently not sponsored by anybody. Sure, I sell a lot of products here in the store, but I don't pander to any particular brand. There are some cool products out there. When it comes to trail cameras, here's what I like. I love cellular. Cellular is worth the money that you put into whatever your data plan is for a number of different reasons. Not only does it offset the time and the fuel for a lot of people that it takes to get back and forth, we don't really have that amount of time. The other thing is, is when we're dealing with a whole bunch of multiple cards and not checking them every five or six weeks or stuff like that, I don't feel that we can really get, or, or maybe we can, we just don't, get a really fine grip on the data that we're actually looking at lining up photos with moon phases or temp barometric pressure, other weather factors, wind directions, things of that nature. You know, I don't think it allows us to really say, okay, here's these pictures from today, here's the weather, here's what this means. I think that's important. The other thing of it too, is if you're only checking them every five or six weeks and a buck gets on a pattern for a week, by the time you've identified that, you might be two or three weeks beyond when that happens. So I love the cellular cameras. If you're only gonna run one cellular camera, I think the spy point builds a really great unit. You have to choose whether you're using AT&T or Verizon when you're purchasing that camera, but they're very economical, around $150, and they allow you to get into the cellular game very easy. You're looking at a $10 a month data program, and that's really great. The program that I'm using on my property is from Cuddyback, and it's called the Cuddylink system. And they will be the first to apologize for as complicated as they've made these units in this process over the last couple of years. But I feel like they're really kind of working out the bugs and here's the program that I'm running. The new cameras for this Cuddy Link system take D batteries. 
And that I really like because it gives you the extended life that you need to drive this, this system that uses more power than a traditional camera, this link system. The other thing is too, is D batteries are pretty economical. You can usually find them online as much as I hate saying that, batteries aren't a huge part of my business, but you can get, you know, Rayovac D batteries for under a buck a piece. Depending on what you're doing, the units can take six cameras, and if you really want a full, you know, year out of these cameras, then you can get an actual booster where you can put more in. And they make a couple of different options. Solar's coming, you know, XYZ. For me, it's just simpler to run this D system, for sure. I'm looking at, you know, maybe $12 to operate my cameras through the season I want to have. Really not all that bad. The nice thing about this system, what makes it different, is I can run multiple cameras that do one of two things. The first is they'll send all the pictures to a home camera, so I can check one camera and I check them all. What that allows me to do is not go into my bedding areas, it allows me to not impact my property at all. I can pull into a spot where I can jump in, grab a car, jump out. There isn't a deer on my property that doesn't that knows I was there. That's really nice. In the situation where my property is 30 minutes away from where I live, I really like the fact of using the cellular system. What that allows you to do is for that $10 a month that you get with the other companies, is you're getting the data from all of your cameras for that $10 monthly charge. So if you want to run a multiple camera set and obviously you need to have cell coverage for these to work, keep that in mind. This cutting link system is really great. I've, uh, ever since I switched to my D battery system, I've been really happy with the battery performance on the cameras. Cuttybacks always historically had very good trigger times and picture clarity. And uh, I'm moving forward, just gonna continue to work with this system. It'll allow me to uh, run, I'm gonna run seven cameras on my property. And moving forward for these upcoming muzzleload hunts and late season bow hunts, here's the scoop. I've got a particular deer that I'm really interested in harvesting. A couple others I'd be happy with, but there's one in particular that's on my mind. I know that bucks don't get big by being stupid. These are smart animals, they're survivors, they've made it in our heavily pressured area for two to three to five years. If they can get to that point, that means that they're, uh, they're no joke. So here's what we need is I need to monitor what's happening, stay on top of it, and stay out of there at the same time. I'm going to marry myself to these cameras, and I'm gonna watch on my major food sources. I'm gonna put a lot of cameras in a small area because I wanna catch any particular spot where this deer may be coming out. So instead of just having one camera on a food plot, I'm probably gonna have four because my food plot's 300 yards wide and there's a lot of crossing paths. I do not wanna miss if that deer steps onto my food plot. As things get colder and things uh, get deeper with snow in a deer's need for those nutrients, which right now I have brassicas, daikon radishes, purple top turnip and clover on that food plot. Um, I feel like those deer are really gonna spend a lot of time on it. So what I need to see is I need to find that buck coming out at least relatively close to legal shooting hours. And then what I need to do is a combination of that is really invest and marry myself to the weather and have the flexibility to make a move if I need to make a move. What you're really looking for in the late season is going to be high pressure system, 30, 30 and a half and above. And generally for what I need, 
is I need some type of prevailing wind, whether it's northwest or northeast, with a heavier sense of that west or that east in, in my situation. So you want that high pressure system, and you want a high level of coldest weather that you can get. And if that deer's showing up on that camera and you're getting those images and getting closer and closer to those legal shooting hours, it's that particular time, or if you get several a south wind after several norths, then that can be absolute money. So if you haven't gotten to this point where you want to get into that game, if you're thinking about giving up on the deer season, don't hang in there. There's a lot of season left and it can be a really good productive season where we can get back to patterning deer, we can deal with less pressure in the deer woods, and there's still some really great tools out there. That muzzleloader season is really, really awesome. Late bow season is great as well. Obviously making sure that we're paying attention to all the things like scent elimination and a big thing, big, big thing is noise. Watch the Quiet Place from Sitka videos. That's hilarious with Jim Hole. It's awesome, we talked about it last week. Um, quiet is king and warm is super important. So we need to take those opportunities, get back out there, keep pushing on. I know it's the holidays, but do your best. The other thing is too, well, it's fresh in your mind. Right now, take an inventory of everything that you think that you needed to make that gun season better. Do you need a new magazine for your gun? Once we're done after this week, now is the time to get that clean. Maybe it's now's the time to put the new optics on. So we have a full year of preparation ahead of ourselves. And what that's gonna do is give us all the time that we need leading up to the gun season so that we're not you know, stressing out over ammunition needs or magazine needs or gun cleanliness. Make sure you clean that gun now. If you have a semi-automatic weapon, it's been a long time. Maybe now's the time to drop it off at the gunsmith. Get new springs put in. If you've got a Browning VAR, a buffer bar is something that wears out on those. It's, it's an inexpensive part. It's easy to replace. It's just a great piece of maintenance. So that cleanliness and repair, now's a great time. There's no pressure for the gunsmith to get it done. If it's two months or three months before he gets to it, that's probably fine by you. So that's a great idea is to think about that now. The other thing is the type of ammunition. If you're really happy with your ammo, one thing I tell people, if you wanna take it to the next level, don't just buy one box, maybe buy a case, maybe buy five boxes, whatever is the same lot number so you have that high level of consistency. If you say, I know I'm gonna hunt with this ammunition for the next 10 years, maybe that's a great thing to put on your Christmas wish list. Hey, maybe it's a Chase Outdoors gift card. But uh, also too, make sure, Black Friday sales coming up in the store on Saturday. We've got a whole bunch of things coinciding. We've got tons of guns on sale. Got a lot of big rebates, up to $100 off on certain rifles. We've got a lot of bows on sale. Also to Cyber Money at Monday on chase-outdoors.com. You're gonna see our best pricing ever on our entire assortment of tens of thousands of items. You definitely wanna make sure you get that Christmas list now. But hey, for all things hunting and fishing, it's chase-outdoors.com. I appreciate you so much. As always, be blessed, travel safe, have a great holiday season, and we're going to talk to you next week.